everyone, and welcome to the Friday, October 1st installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone, and I'm here with our special contributor, Scott Budman of NBC Bay Area. Our producer is Jordan Henderson, our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove, and our host, as always, is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay, Scott, another week, another week of Theranos. Yeah, you know, the trial, uh, we've had our, our big uh, celebrity witness in uh, James Mattis. Yes. We've had, uh, for the last couple of days, the lab director of Theranos, which is interesting because this is the man who said, I discovered that the machines were not working. And perhaps more importantly for the prosecution, he says, I then went into Elizabeth Holmes' office and told her. So that's so a big part of this case. Is this guy the whistleblower? Is he the biggie? He's one of them, and it turns out, if you read Bad Blood by John Carreyrou, he was uh, a character who was not named. Uh, he was called John Beam or something like okay. that, but he's actually Adam Rosendorf. And after his testimony, during which he said, yeah, I blew the whistle, John Carreyrou tweeted out, so for those of you who wonder, <laughs> yeah, he was uh, you know, this Beam character who I gave a different name to. Um, and uh, so, yeah, he was one of the, uh, apparently the very first whistleblower. So what what did he say Holmes's reaction was? He's the first to talk about a reaction and really the first window we get into Holmes perhaps being nervous. He said at one point, shortly before the launch to the public, where they started putting these testing machines into yeah. Walgreens stores, that he went in and said, we're not ready. And he said, we're about a week to nine days out and we're not ready. The machines aren't giving back consistent results they're not ready for prime time and he said on the stand she got very nervous and twitchy and that's elizabeth holmes we haven't seen certainly not in the courtroom no. where she's been very staid Ultra cool and, yeah um and also masked so it's hard to see any yeah. facial expression but even uh in the book um she comes across as uh really a cool customer who perhaps had the long-range vision but the long-range vision that According to the prosecution, she was not willing to give the product before putting it out into the public, which is why we're, why we're in court. Have you gotten any indication through all this? Was the product fundamentally flawed? It was never going to work? Or if somebody had thrown in another $100 million and they had taken it and perfected it, would it have worked? The idea that I, a non-scientist, uh, got from the documentaries and the book and all the stuff is that it was doomed largely because a lot of the biotech and biology experts were saying you can't get from that small a blood draw all those test results, period, okay. end of sentence. Because you've got a finite number of red blood cells and white blood cells. You're not going to be able to figure out what's going on in an entire human body. Right. It was sort of a two-pronged process where there wasn't enough blood and the machines didn't do what they were supposed to do, which is why even while people were getting tested in Walgreens, you had draws from the regular needles. And we've yeah. all had blood drawn. You know, it's many, many vials of sure. blood. Um, and being used by like Siemens machines. So you had the wrong amount of blood and you had machines that didn't work and the combination was just, it seems, destined to fail. Okay. Because it seems to me it hinges on that, doesn't it? I mean, to an extent, if, if, but if, if yeah. it conceivably could have worked, she can argue it was just a matter of just doubling down until we got there. But if, if according to physics, it was never going to happen, 
Well, that's a whole different matter. And I think we'll probably hear from some experts to say something along those lines. But so far, what they're saying is, we were trying with these machines, and the machines were just giving back wildly inconsistent results. And you know, in the healthcare world, that means you're not, yeah, you're not working yet, people, right? Yeah. Um, and so I imagine the defense may say, "Hey, it's you know, biotech. This takes time." But then, why were those machines put into the Walgreens stores when they were? Well, yeah. Well, and that's that's step number two. Yeah. <laughs> when you even if you believe it might work, the fact that it's not working and you're actually putting it into a retail setting right. to deal on deal with everyday human beings. I mean, that's unconscionable, frankly. Right, because you, know, you and I have talked many times about how uh, CEOs and founders and tech companies of all stripes have raised money before they really have the goods. Yes. And, and you know, some people will call that fake it till you make it, whatever. It's just how Silicon Valley works. Right. But this is different because you're right, there's healthcare involved, there's patient privacy and patient results involved, and they did go public with this machine clearly too early. Yeah. Okay, we also learned some things about her, didn't we? During the course of the week, her lifestyle and how nobody, everybody knew about the affair, but nobody was allowed to talk about it in the company. That sort of stuff. Yeah, that's, and again, that's good. I mean, we're getting kind of into People Magazine right. here, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> the woman's such a mysterious character that to find out anything about her is kind of interesting. I guess so, although, you know, those sort of uh, unspoken romantic secrets of an office happen. Yeah, all the time. And, and, and that's not... Especially when it's a boss. No one's going to bring it up. Right, and no one's going to think, hey, we're going to go to court because of this. But ultimately, what we seem to be learning, not of a, gee, she was trying veganism or anything, that, I mean, that to me is, you know, yeah. ancillary at best. But the idea that these two, Holmes and Balwani, are uh, so estranged now that their trials have to be separated. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if that means that Balwani cannot be called as a witness in the Holmes trial or vice versa. I don't know. I would um, think he still could. I imagine uh, anything goes, and that would be an interesting moment. But because they're both pointing to fingers at each other, the judge has ruled their trials have to be separate, sure. which means... But don't we have people... They take guys out of jail that committed a crime together and have them give testimony against That's each true. other. That's true. That's true. So maybe Usually we'll see... You know, try oh. to get a lighter sentence. Yeah, and certainly these these text messages are not doing any of them any favors. <laughs> no. But that's the nature of and, and you know, as as much as they've been flying around social media, you know, they are private. Do they say anything about the company? I don't know. They say they were together. They say that one might have been a little more flowery in her prose than the other. But really, anything private um, doesn't speak to lying to investors or anything like right. that. but there's going to be a huge demand for it. That stuff always right. makes me uncomfortable to read. Right. And, and I guess they could, they could always bring some out that say, you know, now we're going to lie to investors or whatever. I mean... Yeah, well, if they ever do that moment, yeah, sure. Right. So be careful about what you text everybody because you never know when it may be used. Okay. We're, we're literally... This is the third week in a row. We have the two main topics are the same thing. Facebook. Okay. Now, Facebook is going to pause... Uh, on its Instagram for kids. Now, pause is a very loaded term because this is what is this is what Facebook has always done. These guys are relentless. They've decided they're going to do something, and yeah, if the if the population turns against them, if the federal government you know turns against them, they'll stop. They'll pause, but they're still going to do it. They're going to try this, and we know from the Wall Street Journal yesterday 
they've been working on this since they've been wanting Instagram for kids forever. Yeah, we've heard about Instagram for kids for a while, and you're right, Pause is, uh, is doing a lot of heavy lifting here. But one thing that we do know is Facebook is responding to the tremendous blowback of what we've been talking about, the Wall Street Journal series on right. them. And in this case in particular, um, you know, I had this discussion with our anchor Raj Mathai. He said, I have a tween at home, and I was kind of worried about this. And I said, Raj, I have a teen at home, <laughs> and I'm the one that's telling you, worry about this. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of that going on where people with younger kids are hearing from people with teenagers and thinking, oh, okay, Instagram is something I'm going to have to deal with in the future. But if you're 10 and your kid's on Instagram, all of a sudden you're dealing with it right now, and that has parents concerned. And you may not even know because you bought your kid a phone for safety's sake. And they can do a lot of things with that phone. Yes, I mean we, right? And I fall right into that category. And and I, I mean my kids when they were in, when they're in elementary school had stories of going into the computer lab <laughs> and looking up stuff. You know, I mean it's it's hard to stop once you put the instrument into their hands. Right. And giving giving a nine year old. Will it be access, ten to twelve? Ten and twelve. Well, so they say. Right. They're gonna keep going. Well, and a lot of the research, baby, right? And a lot of the research shows that plenty of under thirteen-year-olds are on Instagram right now. Oh yeah, of course. So for Facebook to say, "Hey, we've got something for your tweens. It won't have advertising. We'll get parental involvement." Um, I don't know. I'm not worried about the advertising as someone who's been. I'm not either. But you know, I I, the safeguards. Right. There are bright kids who will devote their lives to getting around those safeguards and then sharing with everybody else. Yeah, and it's the sharing. You know, it, it, we talked about this on, on earlier versions of, of your podcast where if your teenager, or in this case tween, has a very small group of friends that he or she communicates with, wonderful. Yeah. That's a social tool, especially during a time of pandemic. But when it's so wide open, and we know that that's Facebook's problem and Instagram's problem, um, you know, anything goes and anything can sneak in. And, and tomorrow the whole school the whole school could turn on your kid. Right, right. And uh, there's, again, no real solution to this because the platform is just so incredibly big. Yeah. But uh, if, if anything, the idea that Facebook is willing to listen to the, you know, the pitchforked mob and say, <laughs> okay, well, we will pause this, whatever that means. Um, Instagram for kids, I, I've gone on the record as saying is a bad idea. I'm, I'm, you know, whatever. So if they pause it, it means good. There's a little bit of time when maybe some kids out there won't yet be. Or your kid could grow out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I used to think, is there nobody in that company that says, hey, you know, this might not be a good idea socially. But apparently there are. It's just that they're real good at hiding those, those inner office emails. They're getting less good at that. Yeah. And um, what we've seen with some of these companies, uh, first it was Google, then Facebook, even Apple, companies where people are, let's admit it, they're already wealthy, right? Yeah. And so they have a little bit of freedom to say, hold up, I don't agree with our direction. We've seen that with those three companies that I just named. Also, I'd throw YouTube in there as its own right. entity. Um, as people saying, as employees saying, I really disagree with the direction we're going. Um, and I don't know if that has as much weight as you know a Wall Street Journal expose that really blows back into your face. But if these founders are smart, they would listen to these people. These are the really smart people who are wealthy enough to say, you know what, I'm gonna risk my job here 
but right. I'm really smart, I developed this, and we're getting to a point where I disagree. That should be listened to inside, internally. Yeah, but it, how many tech companies do you know when they discover they have a new thing that might have consequences, say no. You know, this is the Meiji dynasty where they say no guns. You know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna accept firearms, we're gonna stick with, with swords. This is a tech company saying, we got a new product that could make us $30 billion. Right. Do they ever say no? Very rarely, you know, and there are companies that have sort of, you know, seen it both ways. I mean, I, I think of Salesforce, yeah. um, when some of the internal, you know, gossip got around to saying, hey, men are being paid more than women for the same job. Mark Benioff, to his credit, admitted it and said, we're going to fix this and make the pay equity. But at the same time, some of those same employees were saying, hey, I disagree with these government contracts, yeah. you know, because they're helping the border patrol or whatever with their software. And that didn't stop. So it's it's a fine line. Sometimes right. you say yes, and I guess sometimes, like you just said, you say, well, it's bringing in a lot of money. Right. I have a, I, and you can justify it. I have a fiduciary responsibility to my shareholders. Right. You know. Okay. Well, Facebook at least is on notice now that, you know, you have the you have the most powerful newspaper, business newspaper in America, in the world, and they're watching you. We'll Look, see if that changes their behavior. It's no secret. Facebook being hit hard by the Wall Street Journal at a time when we're looking at the Theranos case. And how did we get there? The Wall Street Journal. So good for them. Yeah. And Facebook doesn't seem to be afraid of the United States government, but I think they're afraid of the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And oh, here's we have a new entry into our weekly thing. Uh, Amazon <laughs> announces its new tracking robot, Astro. I assume that's after the Jetsons dog, right? That's the only Astro I know of. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you're gonna bring, so it wasn't bad enough you're gonna have a box in the corner listening to you, but now you're gonna have a robot following you around the house listening to you. You know, this is like what we've talked about with Facebook, how they just won't stop, even yeah. in the face of criticism. You know, Amazon's, uh, like you say, box in the corner, but you know, not only the Echo, the Ring, uh, yeah. These are surveillance devices, essentially, and we're not just satisfied surveilling our neighbors or our voices. We're now going to have a robot follow people around the house. Come on. What if they're quiet? What if you? What if you're talking, having a serious conversation with your spouse about something, in one room, and you move, you step out of that room in the next room, and the robot's just behind the door. Do you, and this has been used in a million movies, yeah. where let's say the Russian agents, they turn on the radio when they have their conversation, yeah. right? Because they don't want whatever government that's bugging the house to hear. You know, that's a trope in, in mysteries and, and, you know, you know. So are we going to, is a new addition to every home, the, the, right. the hot new uh, item for homes is going to be a Faraday cage somewhere in a house where you, <laughs> when you want to have a private conversation, you step in there and you build a, you put an electric field around you. But meanwhile, your little Astro has rolled up to it. Yeah, what? It's a very small little robot with a screen, and you won't even it, notice it. It's it's a surveillance and device. And so then the next step is Hal, which is actually looking at your mouth move <laughs> and reading you you know, through a window. I I mean, look. I know Amazon wants to make it super easy to buy things. And so you can tell your Echo, in addition to saying, hey, Echo, play Beyonce, you can say, Echo, buy this. Yeah. Uh, the Ring, a surveillance device, can't quite figure out how that, how that, I mean, they bought that company. But this is uh, following you around the house. Do we need to buy things that conveniently and that badly that we are willing to give up 
our privacy literally every minute that we're at home, I have trouble with that. I mean, my cat's already smarter than I am. <laughs> and, you know, it makes me nervous having him follow me around sometimes. Astro is smarter than we are, too, I think. <laughs> yeah, this uh, here we go. Okay, IPOs. This is interesting. I, I just read this yesterday. In the first uh, three quarters of this year, we had more IPOs. than in the, in the first nine months of the year, we had more IPOs since the dot-com bubble of 2000. Now, I don't think quite as many, but we're getting up there. This is kind of amazing. Things slowed a little bit this summer, but now they're back. I think we have uh, 14 IPOs this week. Yeah, it's a I huge... love your phrase, frothy. <laughs> well, thanks. I mean, it's it's a phrase that was used back in the dot-com boom days. But it reminds uh, me of scum on top of something you're boiling, <laughs> you know, and, and a froth comes to the top and you scrape it off. I hadn't thought of it that way, but um, but think about it. We even have more ways that companies are going public now than just a generation ago. They're going IPO the traditional sure. way. They're going direct listings. We've seen that with like Spotify. Absolutely. Um, I think uh, I think Warby Parker, the sun, the eyeglass company, right. just just, went. just had yeah, and a very successful direct listing. But also obviously the SPACs, the and SPACs. which are they're kind of in decline though, aren't they? A little bit, yeah. but they've made it easier to go public. Yes. With less scrutiny and um, and people are taking advantage of that. So the idea of the public markets as a way to raise a whole lot of money very quickly um, has long been attractive and it's super attractive to companies right now. It's kind of interesting that a lot of these IPOs are taking place in other countries. Apparently uh, Russia is going into an IPO boom right now. And uh, all over the world, I mean, I was impressed. India, very international. So if uh, Evergrande, the concern is if Evergrande collapses, does it kill the whole IPO trend? I don't know. Remember in 2008, and, and this is a, a company that's in housing and development and all that, and we saw that happen here with our housing market um, that got frothy, if you will, and <laughs> it really was felt all across the globe. You know, a lot of these... Uh, companies and and everything backed off vcs backed off everybody got scared it led to a huge recession um i don't know if one company can do that but again the world is flat and if that development company which is apparently what hundreds of billions of dollars in debt or something crazy 300 billion that's the last thing i read it's probably more than that that's amazing and when that happens yeah. it shines a light on what is underneath the log and we see that a lot of companies are doing this and i you know it often leads to a domino effect so we're hot right now in the IPO market. Yep. People are speculative. There's some money on the sidelines. They're willing to take risk, but that could turn around really quickly if really something quickly. like that. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a tsunami. Um, we had a total, I should put out some numbers here, 2,000 IPOs to date this year, a record high around the world, raised a combined $421 billion. And that includes uh, 486 uh, SPACs, mm -hmm. Uh, worth 127 billion, and uh, this quarter the biggest IPOs were uh, Robinhood at 2.1 billion, and the Korean software company Crafton, which I think set the record at 3.7 billion, and the largest one of the year so far is uh, uh, Tencent, which was uh, 5.4 billion. These are big IPOs. They really are, and um, again, it is global. We're starting to see a lot of these other countries saying, look at that model that is happening in the United States, yeah. that's happening in Israel, that's happening in India, that's happening in parts of Europe. 
where we're attracting good talent because of stock options. Yes. And the idea of giving people equity, not just investors and not just management, and uh, that makes the IPO a very attractive, I don't know if you'd call it an exit, but a very attractive payout mechanism right. for a lot of companies. I love IPOs because of the distribution of wealth. Right. You know, I love seeing secretaries and, you know, receptionists and low-level, you know, engineers getting a piece of the action. Uh, I think that's a wonderful thing. I mean, we had this interval after 2001 where they they started changing all the regulations and, make, and keeping the stock options more tightly bound to management and not being able to share it. And that struck me as absolutely, you know, anti-capitalist. Uh, and it's, it's starting to loosen up a little more, mainly because of these kids in basements and everything else. <laughs> they're, they're creating this sort of army of David's pressure. And I love that. And that's a little, uh, that was a nice little segue to TikTok traders. <laughs> this is really interesting. Did you read this? Yes. That we have outsider insider traders. And what they are doing is they're looking at, uh, well, I read this terrific piece. It was hilarious because they ended it by saying, now remember the best advice is always to do your own research. Uh, but the inside information is they're basically saying, okay, we know everybody in Congress is corrupt and they're probably all doing insider trading. And by law, they're required to list all of their trades. So let's create an index on say Nancy Pelosi's stock trades and that that'll be our investment model. Look, that's research. <laughs> that's not really insider trading because all this yeah. stuff is public. It's insider trading if I know something that people don't and I tell you or I trade on that information. But if something is made public because of disclosure laws, yes. um, even if it's what people are doing kind of under the table, is that really insider trading or is that just someone saying, hey, I'm moving away from the message boards. You know, yeah, it used to no, be no, Yahoo I, and I now it's Reddit. it's perfectly legitimate. Yeah, and, uh, and because, because But of it's that, based upon the notion that Congress people and senators are so corrupt, they're always doing insider trading because they always have inside details on various, you know, new laws emerging and private, you know, secret congressional testimony and all that. And we have examples from the past of them getting rich doing this stuff. Right. So let's follow them. I mean, that's sort of the next, and it's funny, I hadn't heard the term outsider insider <laughs> yeah. trading, but when I saw that, I'm like, I have to read about this. And it is kind of fascinating. And remember, and, and there's just been- You a, know, I kind of love these kids. I really do. I do too. And and they got involved uh, in, in, say, the GameStop craziness yeah. because they wanted to beat back Wall Street, beat back the short sellers, et cetera. Now, they're risking their own money, which I would never tell a young person to do on a speculative stock. But the fact that they did, it really did change things. Yes, it and did. it put some of those hedge funds and, and short sellers on notice. Now the idea is taking that and saying, okay, where do we turn our research? Well, hey, the elite class that gets to perhaps even break laws, yeah. but then we find out about it because of public disclosure laws, and we can do the same thing. It kind puts of. politicians on notice. Right. I love it because you have a congressman from, I don't know, Indiana. He's got some inside knowledge that ConAgra is going to make a big investment. You know, he can, and he goes out and buys some stock ahead of time. He gets his wife to do it. Which, by the way, is insider trading. That's insider illegal. Insider trading. That is yeah. absolutely, which is why you and I can't own stock, or at least I could now. But you, when I was a newspaper man, and you now, you can't buy stock in Silicon Valley. Right. Uh, will they think twice now? 
before buying that stock if they go, what if those what if those TikTok kids get wind of this and all of a sudden ConAgra stock jumps and there's an investigation on why it did and they trace this back to me. Yes. I'm in trouble. They ask some kid on a Reddit message board, why did you buy that obscure stock? Oh, well, the congressperson did. Yeah. Oops. There yeah. you are. <laughs> uh, the uh, interesting thing is, you know, even congressmen, congresspeople don't usually get it right. They actually have, if you study their, their stock purchases, they actually do worse than the market. <laughs> that's a good point, too. And that's why all this stuff is so risky, no matter how you're looking at it. Yeah. I mean, but I love it. I, I love it giving daylight and all sunlight and all this stuff it makes the world a better place okay that's it for now folks you can find us on the silicon valley business journal homepage, as well as on spotify anchor google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, and youtube have a great weekend uh we'll see you next week welcome to october bye bye <laughs>